Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 2 and can be found on page 1218 in the Bibles in the church. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living statues, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. So let's pray as we ask for God, by his grace, to speak his word to our hearts. Let's pray. God, our Father, thank you that by your spirit you're here. Thank you for the truth of your word and the way you would shape our lives by it to give us a taste of our eternal future with you. And so we pray that you will help us hear what you have to say and that you will help us change in repentance and faith to be your people. For Jesus' sake, amen. You know, one of the things I love about church is that um, Jesus has this way by his word of surprising us, of making us see our lives in a very different way than we did before. And that's really, in a sense, my prayer this morning, is that he'll surprise us with who we really are and even maybe even change our mind about where we think we're here for. And that's certainly true for me. Uh, Given the controversies that are abounding in the Church of England at the moment, you might be surprised to find a bishop here this morning. Trust me, no one's more surprised than me to become a bishop in the uh, middle of the biggest crisis in the Church of England for a generation uh, is not an easy call. Um, Even a year and a bit into this role, I'm learning to embrace my new title, not right reverent, but right idiot as being uh, my uh, call. But there's an even bigger surprise in this building this morning, and that's not who I am, but who you are. Um, Because contrary to the perceptions of outsiders, we're more than just a gathering of friends and acquaintances. What God sees this morning is something utterly glorious. You are part of something utterly glorious. 
something wonderful, life-changing, a taste of heaven on earth because you were church. One of the advantages um, Peter had when he wrote to the early Christians, the early church, is because he spent so much time with Jesus, um, he, he very clearly saw what Jesus' priorities were for people. And this letter was written to help lots of churches get those priorities in order with the biggest questions of their lives. So if you're here this morning and you're not sure if you are a Christian, do you want to know God better? Read chapter one. And Peter says, the gospel message is what we need. We are so precious to God that he purchased us through his son's death and resurrection to have a new purpose for our lives and a new promise for our future. And the first steps to grasping that life are going to be found um, uh, are there in our own holiness and the way that we set um, our, side, our lives apart for him. And actually, one of the best things you can do if you don't know the Lord is to explore those questions. What is it that brings such a group of people together so often? Join one of the explored courses that I'm sure you'll find advertised here regularly and do that. Um, and there won't be a more important decision than you do. As I say, I was brought up an atheist and I was so grateful that there were Christians willing to talk about what life was really for and to share those things. So read 1 Peter, 1. Um, but Peter goes on to say, not just how do you become a Christian, how do you grow in a relationship with God, and the rest of chapter 1, verses 13 to 25, really say, what's going on in your heart? What's your passion for God? Because uh, we grow by receiving his word loving and loving his people. You know, we can glorify him and enjoy him forever uh, because... As one chapter 1, verse 22 puts it, you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth. Uh, so that's how we grow. So he helps us get going as Christians. But the biggest question of all, and the most surprising one to answer is this one, why? Why does God want a people anyway? What does he want to know us for? What's the point of this great sacrifice by which he saved us and the new heart that he gave us to help us grow? What is God's purpose for us? See, many of us as Christians can get so caught up in the immediate activities of Christian living that we can miss the most significant thing of all. So a few years ago now, um, I was talking to a Christian couple. What's wrong with this, you might say? I asked them how they were getting on with their Christian life. Fantastic, I was told. They were getting excellent Bible teaching from their home group. Their prayer life was going well at home. And they were in a prayer triplet, which met together uh, once a month. They were actively supporting evangelism by helping financially and practically in a local mission organization. And they even had had time to read some good Christian books. What was wrong? I'll tell you, they said, Rob, we're getting it all from our reading and our home group. We don't go to Sundays anymore. We don't go, go to church. What's wrong with that? I'm getting all I need, aren't I, religiously, spiritually, with God. I'm doing the right things, all the things you tell me to do, read the Bible, pray, share the faith. I'm doing that. What's wrong? I mean, I hear it a thousand times. I'm a Christian, but I don't think you need to go to church. What's so important about this? So here is the surprising thing about God's purpose for our lives. You see, the purpose for which he sent his son to die for us and sends his spirit to live in us is so that we will take our place in church. That's not the way we think of it. We always think and personalize it's about me and God. But it isn't. It's about us. It isn't actually you and him. It's us. 
And here's where our Western culture has corrupted our view of church. You see, God's purpose for your life and my life is not some individualistic personal life religion plan. God is not providing us self-help or therapy for our individual self-fulfillment. God's purpose for our lives is to take our place in a community that is a taste of heaven. Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, you can do the actions if you want, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In verse 9, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you've not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, God's purpose for you and me is corporate, collective, and communal. In other words, God's big purpose for us is to be church. Now, I know that's not how most of us tend to think about it. For many in our individual consumerist age, church is a convenience for the converted. You know, it's what you get out of it that matters. Um, If it gives you what you want, if you get good teaching, there's a good youth group, there's good fellowship, in the end, you choose it. And indeed, if things go off the boil, you'll change. If you don't like it, you'll shift. If the place doesn't deliver you'll find, in the best of consumerist approaches, a place that does. Mind you, actually, the other extreme is just as bad. If it's not convenient for the converted, it can be a routine for the ritualist. You know, church is just a place to do religion in. It's the building, the place you go. Well, that was poignantly put on the video. Or it's the liturgy, it's the things you say, the words you say, or the tradition, the way you do it, because we've always done it like that, that matters. Isn't, again what you get out of it, but what it does to you that is the point there. You know, the stability in a chaotic life. But we're not asking what is the purpose of my life, but what is God's, what God's purpose for my life. And to do that, we need to look at it, God's perspective. Now, I don't know if you've seen on the internet one of those photo mosaics, which um, is a picture of pictures. Where if you zoom in, you've got a little snapshot. If I, had, I had a lovely one made up of the church I served 20 years in Cheadle with just all the congregation's pictures. And you could see everybody there. We had 470 on the roll. Um, but actually, this photo mosaic puts them together to make a bigger picture. And as you zoomed out, you get to see the bigger picture, the picture of Jesus, in fact, that we did. Each individual picture makes up part of the whole And you don't see the picture of who you are till you see the big picture. It only becomes visible when you're in the right place among the whole people. Or or it's like instruments in an orchestra. I played third trumpet in the school orchestra. Third trumpet, there were parts of the score that said 50 bars rest. That was the bit I played the best. But honestly... When the music is rousing, you need all the trumpets going. Because every part adds to the whole. Or parts of the body. 
there's all sorts of little bits that we don't really feel conscious of or sometimes feel too self-conscious of. And without them, we would be less than we are. See, Peter is saying, look, open your eyes to the big picture here. Open the eyes to how glorious you are. And he was writing because the Christians of his day were suffering hardships and insults simply because they were being faithful to Christ. And like many of us in testing times, they were just at risk of focusing on the problem and fighting their particular battles rather than being the purpose for which God had called them to be. And Peter says, look who you are. What defines the church? How does it develop? What's its direction? But this is God's purpose for why we're still here on earth. Because this is a taste of what will be forever in heaven. Why? Why is this so important? Well, there are some reasons for our passage. Firstly, it's when we're together that we make God's love visible. Together, we make God's love visible. We're called to be Christ's people. We're the people that God's love has called together. If you look at the big picture of who we are, you will see the activity of God, the grace of God at work. This is not a natural gathering. If you look around, I mean, really, would you hang out with this bunch? Well, one or two maybe, but... But, Peter says, God chose us. Jesus, the living stone, was rejected by men and chosen by God, verse 4. And we are, verse 9, the chosen people belonging to God. Which is to say, the local church is not defined by its activity or its building, but by the relationship we have to Jesus Christ. We're the people he chooses. It's not that we choose church. He chose church. He chose us. Here's Jesus' answer to the debilitating demeaning of our humanity that our culture gives us. You know, our culture says you've got to express yourself. You've got to show your individuality. And then does nothing when that creates vulnerabilities or you don't live up to your self-image. That's why the mental health problem is so rife, amongst other reasons. But if you want to see how wide God's love goes, look around. Look at who he's chosen together. You think, what's going on in the mind of God that we should be together? Something awesome, glorious, bigger than us, because we wouldn't make the choice that he's made. But you're here because he's chosen you. And he chose us to grow us. Verse 5, like living stones, we're being built into a spiritual house. We're a work in progress that shows God's handiwork. And that's only visible as we see what's going on amongst us. You see, there are ways you can grow as an individual. Not healthy. But together we can grow. And we're evidence that the Lord Jesus Christ is building and shaping and changing lives today. This church is defined by what Jesus is doing through you, together. And never just something organizational or denominational. Don't panic about the Church of England. Because you are the church that God has called together. No grievous decisions of bishops can stunt the beauty of what you are. And the point is, if God chose us to grow us, then this is how his love is seen. 
to those who don't know him. You see, you can't show love on your own. You can't do it apart from being with a bunch of people who you wouldn't normally be with to show how wide his love goes. Because here, I look around and every age and stage and race and background and ability is represented because Jesus chose you. All the divisions that damage our culture are united because Jesus chose you. And God's love transcends it. Oh, we know that. Jesus said it in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And Peter commands in chapter 1, verse 22, as part of discipleship. Now you purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. This is how the depth of what love is gets seen. You are how the depth of God Jesus' love gets seen in his world. And that's also the place, because of his love being seen, that we will best see God answering prayers and building people up. Now, you may have been in church for a long time. Actually, the last time I was actually in this church, I think it was before nearly all of you, because I did a placement here when Philip Hacking was around, when um, and Dave Fenton was the youth worker, and Keith White was the curate. I stayed with him and Gaynor in some house or other, I can't even remember where it was, as a teenager, low early 20s. Um, you know, God has been doing some awesome things here. Growing church. And if you open your eyes, you'll see answers to prayer all around you. Sometimes we think, oh, I, I haven't seen my prayers answered today. Well, start talking to other people then. Because it's us, not me, where God promises to answer prayers. That's why the prayer meetings, your Wednesday things, really great to hear how exciting those are as the church comes together to seek God's will together. Because as we unite in prayer, God answers for us. Because this is awesome. You even see that in bigger places as well. You know, what would it take to unite the church? What would bring evangelical, that is, Bible-believing Christians together? Well, God's doing it. I mean, it's not the way I'd have chosen, but it's happening. Different streams are coming together. A crisis has united people to say what really matters. Let's not wish for the crisis, but thank God for the prayers that have brought different streams of Christians together to say we need to stand together with him and for him. God is working. He's answering our prayers, and you're part of this. So what he does for one of us, he does for all of us. So we're making Christ's love visible. But that's the first dimension of this unity. We make Christ's love visible, and then together we make God's presence tangible. That's the verse 5 point. Be Christ's temple. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Or verse 9, you're a chosen people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. See, we're being built with and by Christ. Not only are we together, he grows us together. He puts us together. I mean, Peter knew Jesus' teaching that his own personal body was going to be the new temple, a place that God was found, that's in two, but he applies that radically to us as Christians. The spiritual house is us. We are the temple of God. 
And what's that mean? Well, spiritual houses, temples, are the place you experience God's presence. That was the most basic job of the Old Testament temple, to be the place that focuses the special presence of the infinite creator God. And it's not that God only lives in a temple or a church, that would, but his promise was to be specially present in the midst of his people in worship. And what Peter's saying is, that is true for you. That is church. Christians gathering together are the place that God promises specially to be present, where two or three gather in his name. You will best encounter him today here. Not because you've wheeled out people to stand at the front and do stuff for you, but because we're here. And it's it we in whom God is working. Just think about it. If you've been a Christian a while, isn't that true? The high points of your faith, they haven't generally been sat on a mountaintop on your own, have they? They've generally been in moments when Christians have gathered together, where the insight of God's word has been hit, to, hit home to you by the Holy Spirit, when the prayers that you've seen, the encouragement of fellowship has grown, where worship has moved our hearts. It happens together. Guess what? That's what God meant it to do. He meant us to belong. We're not just a random gathering of people who try hard to love each other. We're part of the purpose of God to give a taste of heaven to earth. We're living stones or living bricks. In fact, living stones is better than living bricks. But even in this church, look at that. Somebody couldn't even get the stones to match. They're all different. They're not even all laid the same way around. And imagine the old buildings that Peter was thinking about. Literally, the stones weren't even shaped as uniformly as bricks. But they were put together, different shapes, different sizes, beautifully, seamlessly made into a building for the glory of God. That's us. God's presence is seen in the way that our gifts complement each other where the relationships we have, our personalities, bring different insights together. To experience God's presence, a healthy church needs every one of us to play that part. Every one of us to bring the unique person God's made us to be part of this bigger whole. Even the third trumpets need their place in this orchestra. And that's when we'll experience the presence of God. And that's also why you experience the presence of God when you join in with other Christians, bringing to the party your personality and gifts and finding that unity and diversity. And let me encouraging you, I just, you know, I'm coming in here first time in a long time. God is here. Just chatting to a few of you before the service. God is at work in Christchurch forward. Who knew? Hopefully you did. But temples have another purpose, not just to be the presence of God, they also exalt the person of God. That's another basic thing about temples. They're built for the honor of God. And so are we. The basic purpose of a church is worship, to honor and glorify the God that made us. And so the benchmark of the healthy activity of church is not how big it is or how many groups it has, but how obviously God is honored. So that an outsider who doesn't know anything can come in and say, God's here. Or at least something's here, even if they don't know who it is among his people. 
In practice, actually, verse 11 and 12 remind us what that likes. Let me just read them to you. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, abstain from the sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In other words, to glorify God, to be holy, means to be different, not sinful, by doing good to others. A good Christian life, a good church life, therefore does good to people. Not just to us, that's not church. Church brings the goodness of God to the community of his world to proclaim his king in forward and beyond. Peter's point is we should be impacting the people around us so they'll glorify God when he returns. Maybe they'll stumble over Christ and he'll get in their way, but at least they'll have no excuse to say they didn't see the difference that he was making to people because he could see you, the church. Or maybe by the providence of God, they may come to that saving faith themselves and find their place within this awesome building of God. It's a huge challenge, is it? To experience Christ and exalt him means we have to work together. It is a bit of an effort. It does take our energy, our focus, our prayers. But it is brilliant. You here get to taste something that most of our community never do. The joy of being part of something big and beautiful. Which is church. And we won't ever know that if we're only ever doing our thing or think this is about us making our own choices because it's God who's chosen us it's God who's made these different bricks fit together we're built by him with him and for him but there's one last ps to this because not only do we make God's presence known and exalt God's person we make God's message accessible we're a priesthood. Verse 5, a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Verse 9, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We're built for Christ's purpose. And I know sometimes churches like this will trot out, I believe in the priesthood of all believers, as it says here, because ministers are not special privileged people. You know, Johnny's role here, my role here is no more important than your role in the church that Jesus is building. We have different responsibilities and relationships to people, different roles, if you like. But actually, everyone is just as important as each other. But he isn't just speaking against the wrong view of ministry here. He's speaking about the purpose because priests share God. They share with God by praying, having access to God in prayer. The one, verse 6, who puts their trust in him, Jesus will never be put to shame. You know, we actually are the ones who can get involved with God's doing because we can speak to him. We can pray to him. And that's why the promises of God are made special for where two or three gather in prayer. When we agree, God's purpose is to honor his name by answering the prayers of our unity. Get to the prayer meeting. If you want to see God moving, be there. That's our privilege as a prayer. So the priesthood, we have access to God in prayer, and we also make sacrifices for God in service. That's the other thing priests do in the Old Testament. Um, you know, not, they made animal sacrifices whose lives substituted for the penalty of sin, and Jesus has done that for us. So we don't make those sort of sacrifices anymore. But there were other sacrifices priests brought in the Old Testament called fellowship and thanksgiving offerings. That's what we still do. 
Sacrifice is to express joy to God and gratitude for what he's doing. And now it's the role of Christians together to do that. As uh, Paul puts in Romans, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, of your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So, so we can have access to God and his will as we pray. We can have access, indeed, um, we can have, make these sacrifices to him. Uh, and when we all use our gifts... But the whole purpose of that is to share it. Verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, so that, so that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So that is the supreme purpose for which God is working his church out. We're to bring that message of salvation to a world that will be lost without him, that is lost without him. The church together makes Jesus known. So the job of this church is to build you up. It's not to give you a good time or a good experience. I hope it will do that as well. Well, it will if you come here. But it just is far more than that. We're the go-betweens that God has between here and hell. Between heaven and hell stands the church because we're the ones that are here for the rest of Fullwood and beyond. If you're in the student world or in your working world, you are the ones as part of this called to stand in the gap between heaven and hell for them. To make known the message of Jesus that saves us. So it's not just to build us up. I mean, the Christians Peter was writing to faced far worse pressure than us to be Christians. They were pre had prejudice, mockery, persecution, the confiscation of their property, torture and death for the sake of Christ. That's not that bad being a Christian in England. Our brothers and sisters in part of the world church know what it is to make this. But Peter encourages them with this vision. We're the priesthood. The church, all of us, together, are those go-betweens. The Apostle Paul put it like, we're Christ's ambassadors on foreign soil in this world, representing the honor of his kingdom. That's why you're here. Not just for a good time and to grow, yes, that. But for the 98%. For those who are not calling themselves committed Christians. To bring them good news, to honor Christ among them, to share the gospel, because that's Jesus' heart. That's why he wept over the city of Jerusalem. That's what's on his heart today for our nation. He's not bothered about the Church of England. He's bothered about England. He's bothered about the people who are outside of the faith, and he wants faithful people to unite faithfully under his word to bring good news, to be his priesthood. Oh, that's not how we think of church normally. What a purpose. Not here for therapy or for religion, but to be a taste of heaven. To make his love visible, his presence tangible, and his message accessible. So are you up to it? Are you up for this calling? Because Peter's passionate prayer is, be who you are. A chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people belonging to God so that he will be proclaimed as the king of his world and he will bring light 
to darkness and life to the dead and hope for the hopeless and faith to the godless and a future for those bound for hell. You are awesome because you are church. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes. Open our eyes to who we are, how you see us, for what you've called us, and how you want to use us. And Lord, forgive us when we've so personalized and individualized our faith that we've forgotten that it's together we stand, together that we work and act and pray and be your people. So renew us in this vision. Help us taste heaven as we take our place in your people and may the witness of this place rebound fruitfully for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.